Um, have you, um, my question that, that I'm thinking about this morning from that text is, have, have you ever uh, thought that somebody would react to an idea you had or something that you had to say in a certain way, and you thought it would be a positive way, but then uh, it turns out they reacted completely differently, and it was a negative reaction or, or a negative response. Um, I, I can think of a lot of times. Uh, I asked that question to, to Matt earlier, and he said, that's just called communication. And um, I think a lot of times that's right. Uh, and, and we can see uh, the evidence of this being what happens in communication all the time, all around us. But when we start to talk about really big ideas, like we do in church and in religion of who's saved and, and who's not and who's in and who's out, um, those ideas that we can be so excited or can feel so liberating for us to have embraced, to share those with other people, um, the consequences of that can be big. They can be big for our relationships uh, with those people. They can be big for where we end up falling on a political spectrum. They can be big in terms of uh, relationships, even within our own family. And, And I think Paul here... In these verses, he's, he's feeling the same way. Uh, he's, he's realizing that something that feels so sure to him and so real to him is also somehow, even though he thought it would be very unifying, it was and is divisive. I, I can remember different conversations with family members. I can remember being, I think, I think I was 21 or maybe 22, and uh, I had just had this this sort of spiritual reawakening in my life, and I was talking to this family member, and I was just sharing out of my experience. And I think he asked, he said, you know, I thought, I think I heard you, you know, you were going through something spiritual, and I said, yeah, and I started telling him about it, and uh, immediately it the question was, so do you think I'm going to hell then? And I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm not prepared to answer this question, and I'm scared uh, by the, the change in tone immediately in the conversation. And whether it, whether it be uh, something about Christianity or um, something about uh, where we fall politically or just how we interpreted some kind of event uh, in our home about chores or whatnot. I think we can all relate to this experience. And uh, what I think is really valuable is the humility with which Paul responds as he's considering the gravitas of these ideas and their implications in this letter. Uh, because he's, he's talking to a group of people, and if you were here the week before last, I, I described a little bit of the context of this group of people, but they were both Jews and Gentiles. Most of them were enslaved people in Rome, and um, there were some Roman citizens as well, so it was mainly like lower-class people with not a lot of rights, and many of them 
were not Jewish people. They were, they were Gentiles. And so, um, hey, uh, hey, Matt, can you pull down that message bar? Um, so the, uh, the, the amazing thing here in this letter is, you know, I grew up hearing a lot of little snippets from the Book of Rome, kind of being pieced together to give you things like the Romans' road to salvation and um, kind of seeing them on little tracks and, and fake dollars and, and things like that, and even just single verses being isolated out to kind of explain all of, of Christianity. And um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I, I didn't really know what to do with that. Uh, because it seemed like the Bible was a really big book, and so when it all got boiled down to a single verse, it kind of gave me some anxiety, but a lot of people around me were saying, you know, when I was reading, you know, this is kind of this kind of what this book is for. But in reality, uh, this 16-chapter book is written to a group of people professing Christ who were at odds with each other and who were having trouble being unified under the banner of this Jewish Messiah. And they were uh, jockeying for position. They had pride about how and when and why they came into this fold of salvation, this idea that they had somehow come to the right conclusion about the destination of our souls. I mean, what, you know, I, I, get, I get cocky about, you know, being able to predict what happens at the end of a movie before it happens. Like, you know, having the answers to eternal destination for all people uh, could potentially make you feel a little cocky. And so Paul's writing to this group of people, and he's trying, he's trying, and, and he's you can you can see he's having a hard time in his emotions he's trying to show them why humility is so important for them to be able to do the very thing that they say they believe in which is have unity in Christ that through the death and resurrection of Jesus all people are able to come into the kingdom of God irrespective of their backgrounds, their ethnicities, their mistakes, their religion even. And Paul um, is showing us, in a way, how we can deal with these types of situations in our life when we've said something and we, we really believe in what we're saying. We have a lot of conviction about what it is we're saying, and we have a belief that it will produce good, um, whether it be about Jesus or something else. And what we see is that even though we want good and it meant good for us, that we can't control how people respond to it. And oftentimes, maybe most of the time, people don't respond the way we want them to or that we think that they should. So, let me give you a little bit more here from, from the context, because Paul just finished saying these words before he gets to uh, Romans 9, 
where he's talking about this great sorrow and unceasing anguish he has in his heart. He just says this a few verses previous in a letter. He says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I remember seeing that one on a, on a shirt. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor coronavirus or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul believes these words earnestly, deeply, and yet he's filled with anguish. He has to. He starts the next uh, chapter saying, "I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying, guys, and my conscience is clear about this." And then he says, "I'm filled with sorrow and anguish." You know, I I feel like there's a there's a lot of phrases and easy believisms out there that point us to this idea that if we feel really good and, and, and earnest and, and clear in our conscience about something, and we just, li- we, just, we just live that out, that things will just be good or easy for us somehow, that, that we won't face as many problems as, as other people. But what Paul is becoming very familiar and acquainted with is something very different. He is realizing that this epiphany of experience that he had with Jesus and this idea that, that out of the two ways he sees human beings divided and how all Jewish people like him would have, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and everybody else, he thought that Jesus would bring unity between those two groups and make them into one people. And he was thrilled about this idea. And he labored tremendously through his life in almost a superheroic way to try to bring this reality that he believed and felt and, and, and it had happened almost inside of him, this reconciliation, to bear on the world. But it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. And, you know, Paul, he, he had a choice when when he saw that this wasn't happening, because instead what we saw happening is that most Jewish people said, hey, look, you are letting in all of these Gentiles, all these people who are not Jewish, who don't have all these things, like the law, the history of the presence of God, descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all these things, and you're saying that they have equal standing uh, with God equal to us. And so Paul is sitting here saying, I'm, I want to be really inclusive, and I want to recognize what Jesus means and has done, and I want to bring everybody in. But what he's realizing here is that being inclusive can actually exclude people. I know that sounds weird, um, but take this for example. If somebody says, man... Um, I, I think that this pizza is the best. I think Memphis Pizza Cafe is the best pizza. And you just say, no, I think all pizzas are equal. They're all exactly the same. And, and they're all good. 
Well, that person might be like, what? Are you kidding me? How could you say that? That is totally, you know, uh, that, that, that's totally offensive to me. How could you say that? They're all the same. They're obviously pizzas taste different. And I think you're just trying to get away from the fact that uh, I've got this really great pizza over here and I have this opinion. Or make it a little bit more specific. What if your spouse or somebody you were dating made you some food and they were really excited about it? And then they asked you, well, what do you, what do you think of dinner? And you said, well, it's, it's good. And it's the same amount as good as every other dinner I've ever tasted. Would that make you mad if they had said that to you or upset or frustrated or say, no, you can't do that. You've got you've to have an opinion about what's good and what's better and what's, what's best. And on like a cosmic scale, this is kind of what Paul is dealing with as he's trying to unify these groups of people. The Jewish people saying, we're a special chosen people by God, and we have these laws that we follow, and we have all of these things that we live up to in order to have God's favor and presence in our lives. And Paul is saying, yes, that's really good. And everybody else gets to come in, too, that doesn't have that. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're going to continue what we're doing, and you can have your little thing over here. So the crazy thing is Paul had this experience with Jesus. And before that point, he was persecuting any Jewish people that, that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's trying to get people out of Judaism before he meets Jesus who don't follow the right rules, the right experiences. Then he has an experience with Jesus. That changes his whole perspective. It shows him a different way. And he begins to try to communicate that. And as he does that, he begins to realize he is losing the very people that he belongs to, ethnically and religiously, that they're not buying it. And so he's left with a reality where the Gentiles, the people he does not belong to, are starting to become more of the followers of Jesus, and the Jewish people are not buying it. And they're saying, we're going we're gonna to stick with what we know and what we've got over here. So, um, Paul believes something earnestly. It's changed his life. It's something he's experienced. It's like if you had never had buffalo chicken pizza before from memphis pizza cafe and you thought like pizza's okay and then you have buffalo chicken pizza from memphis pizza cafe and you're like no this is the greatest thing i've ever eaten put in my mouth from a restaurant and i've got to convert everybody to this new reality and this new understanding and then you have all these people saying like no i don't even like that and i'm gonna stay over here and do my own pizza thing but that on like a cosmic salvation of everyone's eternal souls kind of scale, pizza scale. That's the situation that he's in. So, you know, if I was Paul, I'd probably be scared. And he is scared. He's in anguish. And I might 
try to live in denial about that. You ever you ever just try to wish something away, like wish a reality away about it, and then get mad at people for for not entertaining that with you? Like you've got this fantasy that no, because this is how I thought it should turn out. It's everybody else's fault that it didn't turn out that way. You ever done that before? You ever just blamed people or shut down on them? Because you were convinced and you believed it and you were earnest about it, uh, that it should be this way. And therefore, because you're unwilling to face how scary it is that you don't control life and life's unpredictable, that you went on ahead and just started blaming everybody else that your fantasy wasn't true. Maybe you blamed God as well. Um, Amazingly, we don't see Paul doing that. We see him wrestling. We see him in verse 2 saying, having great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. And, and for a moment, he, he does, he, he kind of goes off into this, this sort of grandiose fantasy for a moment, just for a second. In verse 3, he says, for I for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He, he, he has, he has a, a, a momentary sort of fantasy that maybe like his, his desire for his people to get this Jesus thing is so great that like if he could, if, if, if his willpower could be enough that he could switch himself out for them, that he would do it. He just is there for a moment, but he knows that's not possible. He knows his will isn't that strong. He knows ultimately that he's going to have to submit to something greater than himself, a plan that he doesn't fully understand. And so he realizes he's digressed there. But, um, what do you do? What do you do when you've experienced something more? But when you try to share it, people just try to carve it back up into the same little pieces. You've experienced this big thing. And they try to carve it back up into small pieces. Do you respond like Paul does with your feelings, with your humility, with your temporary moments of grandiosity, um, and then coming back to reality? Or do you kind of relapse into that smaller thing? Uh, an example in my life is arguments with my six-year-old son, Benjamin, where I'm trying to explain to him something, and he brings a six-year-old argument. And most of the time, I'm like, I can, I can say something to say like, oh, Benjamin, I'm sorry you feel that way, or, you know, um, is that so, you know, kind of thing. But sometimes, every once in a while, I digress into a six-year-old level of argument. And I start trying to argue with my six-year-old on his level. And um, I find that's uh, not really helpful. Uh, and it can really be harmful, actually. And we see this kind of discourse happening in the church, outside of the church, and in our country as a whole. And in fact, we elected somebody who that's pretty much the only way that he dis discourses uh, with people talking about our, our president, but not just our president. We all we all do it. And and uh, lots of politicians do it 
as well. Um, so, you know, another another example is just we just uh, Robin just left, and some of us were really close to Robin, myself included, and and he's moving on to things that are good. But we might have had an idea in our mind of what it should look like, like what it should be for my pastor of my church. And if it's if it's not like that, because I earnestly believe it should be, um, then I get really scared and anxious. And it's not bad to feel those things. It can just be harmful when we don't do what Paul does and acknowledge those things and wrestle through those things. And not only that, but being able to affirm the good that is still there within the thing that we are upset about, that it didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. And I don't think we can do that honestly without first experiencing the pain, the pain of an expectation we had because of real good experiences we've had that don't end up producing what we had thought and hoped and even expected it to produce. So Paul is able to do that. In verse 4, as he speaks about the people of Israel, he says, look, these people, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So what Paul is doing with his sincere beliefs here is he's wrestling through them. He's saying, I'm speaking the truth, and I'm in this anguish. And then he is able to affirm all of the good of the people of Israel that he's from, even though he does, he believes many of them, far more than he ever expected, are mistaken about what to do with Jesus and who Jesus is, the manifestation of God, the forgiveness of sins incarnate, grace in human form. And he's able to look, because of this honest wrestling, he tells the truth, but he feels what he's feeling about it, he wrestles through what he's thinking and feeling, and on the other side of that, he is able to come to a place of affirming all of the good things, all of the good things that um, the place where he came from has to offer and is still true of that place. This is, this is an amazing thing. Um, it would be so much easier for Paul to say, well, I'm not going to be an Israelite anymore. I'm still a Jew because that's my ethnicity, but I'm not from the nation of Israel. I'm now a Christian. And a lot of people have taken Paul's words and made lots of terrible divisions and anti-Semitic remarks and ideologies, sadly and unfortunately. Um, another example of, of Paul's, Paul's powerlessness, uh, even though he, he had really great ideas and understanding of, of God. Um, but he could have done that. He could have said, I'm changing camps. I'm switching sides. And it's pretty easy to do that. It feels really good. Have you ever cut ties with something from your past completely? And you sort of took this objective 
view of it that it was all bad. Um, it's not, in the long run, helpful. You might have to be there for a minute, but at the end of the day, if you can't experience your past, your present, people you did belong with but maybe feel like you don't anymore and now you belong with this other group, if you can't take those things and be able to wrestle with the good that existed in very complex uh, human systems, you're going to end up doing a lot of harm in your relationships, uh, in your religion, in your politics. And a lot of people did that. Uh, A lot of people did that with what Paul um, thought would be a unifying message. In fact, today still, I mean, we're, most of us, we're all um, Gentiles. This thing that seemed to be a movement primarily of, of, of Jewish people um, is, uh, is now a, a very small uh, subsect of, uh, of Judaism, Messianic Judaism, that, that believe in Jesus. And, and so um, when I consider what Paul does in this, in this short, short part of this passage here, he takes his experiences and he tells the truth about his experiences with God, with Jesus. Because that, that, when it's all said and done, uh, that's, that's what kind of propels us more than anything. And he starts to tell the truth about what that's doing in his relationships. That is so different than what he thought it would do. And he shares his feelings about that. And he shares his anguish. And on the other side of that, he's not, he doesn't change his mind necessarily, although his mind has changed many times since before he met Jesus and after. But what he does do is he comes to a place of holy humility, holy with an H. Um, it's, it's, it's a sense that he knows things are outside of his control. And that's, that's what I want to, to leave us thinking about here, is although Paul is trying to communicate truth of who God is and how God is manifested in reality, he seems to recognize, at least here, that he can't own that truth. He can't have it for himself. All he can do is try to communicate it and live with it. And it's up to powers greater than him to see what happens. And that sounds a lot like what it means to be aware of grace. I think humility and grace are uh, cousins or maybe siblings, or maybe conjoined twins. When you're able to be sincerely convinced of something that's true about God, about the nature of things, the universe, or what you meant when you said something to your friend or your spouse or your children, um, and you're able to identify the feelings you have about that, and maybe the rage or the sadness or the lack of control you feel, you can begin to accept 
the nuances and the complexity of the things that are good and bad in the world around you, things that are helpful and hurtful, uh, things that are, are harmful and are restorative, and come to a place of humility and still not get your way. I think 2020 is a powerful teacher of that truth if we let it be. So, uh, love you, Christ City. Um, may the grace of God visit you uh, this week as you wrestle with what you want, what you're sure of, what you're sure of that other people might do or respond. May God's grace visit you when those things don't happen the way you want them to. And I'm going to sign off. Amen.